The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Kaufoltz, and it is a joy to be with you today as we welcome our special guest, Nubsa Philip Vang. Nubsa is the founder of a company called Foodini. They are based in the D.C. area, and they deliver authentic multicultural meals crafted by emerging immigrant and refugee chefs right to your doorstep. But it is so much more than that. It is a brilliant, practical, and delicious response to the needs that Nubsa saw in the immigrant and refugee communities that he saw both where he grew up and where he now lives. This is just such a practical and thoughtful organization and such a great idea. And I just, I really love this episode because it's just one of those win-win ideas. And Nubsa made me think a lot about really the heart and really the advocacy behind the food we eat and the people who cook that food. As a quick note, if you wouldn't mind heading over to whatever service you listen to your podcast in and rating and reviewing the show, our show continues because you continue to endorse it and share it on social. So thank you for letting people know that you think conversations of substance and action are important. It means a lot to me and to all of us here on the team. Speaking of which, here is another one of those conversations with Nupsa Philip Vang, the founder of Foodini. I can't wait for you to hear this. So could you just kind of give us the elevator pitch on what Foodini is? Uh, yeah, so what Foodini is, is we are uh, an online restaurant uh, and we focus primarily on um, hiring and supporting immigrants and refugee chefs. And basically what you can do is you can um, go to foodini.com and order amazing food from you know chefs from all over the world. Uh, and what we uh, are able to do is we use the power of food to create uh, living wage opportunities and um, economic mobility for um, people and families that have arrived, you know, to this country as, as either immigrants or refugees. And basically, at the same time, sharing amazing food with, you know, people all over the city. Um, and so that's kind of what Fugini is in a nutshell. That's awesome. And do you do like, is it like food delivery? Is it sort of feel like a, you know, a Blue Apron kind of thing where people can get these awesome meals delivered to them? I would kind of more more almost in line with like a DoorDash or like an Uber Eats. Oh, yeah. So it's like food that's already made. It's already, you know, so basically um, you order online and have it delivered to you for dinner. And, oh, cool. Yeah, all the, all the food's already made, prepared by our chefs and our team. And basically all you have to do is just heat it up. And we provide you with with heating instructions. You can either, you know, do the microwave stuff, or you we provide some like stovetop or oven instructions, and people can just yeah enjoy it when they when they uh, would like to at home. And a lot of the food can be saved for another day. A lot of people, a lot of customers like to you know eat the food over a few days. That's awesome. So there's such an interesting kind of like two pieces of this. One is the consumer piece, which we can talk about later, but also the people that are cooking the food. Can you tell us a little bit about how they enter into the full story of Foodini? 
for me, like the reason I started this company is, you know, wasn't like I planned to be, you know, a restaurant owner or something like that. Like that was kind of the furthest thing from my mind. Um, but, you know, originally when I had moved out to Washington, D.C., um, I came originally from Minnesota. So I grew up in Minnesota and I was actually an engineer before uh, starting Fudini. And so moved out to D.C. for grad school. And, um, you know, I grew up in the uh, Hmong community um, in Minnesota where that's you know, primarily a refugee community from you know, like Vietnam, uh, Laos, and Thailand. And so for me, I grew up eating Southeast delicious, you know, Southeast Asian food my whole life. A lot of the foods that, you know, sometimes are hard to find kind of home style foods that, you know, you might not be able to find everywhere. And so when I moved to DC, I was just craving some of that. I was craving like my mom's home cooking and I didn't know anybody here at the time. So trying to find that kind of food was, uh, you know, was tough. And it wasn't like I knew where to go or I knew who to talk to. You know, you're kind of a stranger in a new city. So the really it was like, well, man, I wish I could just get some of this food and thought about trying to find like some local aunties or grandmas in the neighborhood and, you know, just try to, try yeah, to figure yeah. out a way to purchase some of their food. But, you know, that, that'd be kind of weird for some stranger, like just reaching out and, knocking on their door, asking if they want to sell me some of their food. And so <laughs> basically, you know, came down to like, well, you know, when you think about it, right, like the communities that know how to make this food, you know, better than anybody else already are, you know, you're looking at, you know, immigrant communities, refugee communities, local to the city where you are. And so, you know, that was kind of that first inkling, well, there's already people who know how to do this better than anybody else. Like that, those are the people I want to get this food from. That's, that's who I want to try to, connect with and talk with and and from that point it was like you know i started to look at my family stories coming here my mom and dad they came here as refugees they didn't speak much english they didn't have very much education um and you know work finding decent paying good work was really tough for them and so what if there was a way where we could use um their abilities and in, in their home style cooking and their cultural foods and be able to share that you know, with people um, around the city, but also be able to earn a living off that. So that's really kind of how the idea of Houdini came about was integrating and seeing my own family story and seeing how that could provide a pathway for new families that are, that are coming here and starting, you know, fresh lives here in, in the States. It's so interesting the specificity of food because you were saying you couldn't find the right food yet. I mean, I've been to DC a lot. There are a lot of like, Thai restaurants, like a, a lot, a lot of them, but it still just wasn't home. Like, can you speak a little bit to the specificity of cooking within broader categories? Because we think like, oh, it's, you know, Thai food or Lao cooking and of, like, oh yeah, it's all kind of one big bucket, but it's not at all, is it? Yeah, it's very personal. I think that's the key thing about food is, you know, when I talk about home style food, I talk about personal food. I talk about that's what I think about when I'm sitting in my mom's table and, you know, I see her cooking and making the food and I smell everything and it's just like hitting me all at once. And I'm, you know, when you think about that kind of experience, it just makes, you know, makes that moment so special. Um, and I think that's, that's what we wanted to look for. That's what I wanted to, to find because I think that's, that is something that is really unique to how people cook. And so really, I think the food that Alfudini is not so much of 
you're going to find it in every restaurant or something like that. I think it's more about being unique to that particular chef, that particular person. Um, and that food is very personal to them. And in a way, when you are able to, you know, enjoy the food of our chefs, you are in a way transported to their kitchen table. And I think that's, that's what's really what we always strive for and what we hope to be, to be able to bring to people. And at the end of the day, that I think that connection is what propels people to want to come back and support our chefs, support Foodini, and, and at the same time, like empower, you know, our chefs and the people that work at Foodini, giving them more opportunities to shine and to grow. And it's kind of a, kind of a circle of life thing. And I think if you start with that personal connection, that's what I think food is really about. And, and I think it's a beautiful thing because, right, like food is very universal. You don't have to speak the same language. You don't have to have the same cultures to appreciate a meal, right? Like I could go to a different country, not know anybody there, and I eat the food there but made by a person. And you're just completely you know, in appreciation. And I think that is what's really um, – what's really beautiful about food and so yeah i think it's less about the food and not to say the food has to does have to taste good and taste you know delicious right right right, right. you're still a restaurant right yeah but there's also something more to it as well yeah what has it done for your chefs and for the staff um who have come to be a part of this really sustainable model of business like what have you seen this doing for for their quality of life yeah i think i think number one obviously is going to be right like being able to to support themselves and their families right getting the economic support to be able to 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 have a life here start a new life here and grow that's always been our first and you know our first goal right i think i think what we've noticed too is is i didn't anticipate this at first but the community um that you see flourish between the chefs and the the team members you know everybody in the kitchen working together is when you move to a new country and i i don't know how i don't even know what how this feels but like i think about like my parents moving to a new country not knowing anybody there not speaking the language not knowing the culture and having to start over and First, you look for, for a job to be able to financially support your family, but then you look for a community to belong, to have a sense of purpose and also a sense of being able to contribute, right? Like everybody, I think at the end of the day, has a sense of wanting to be able to contribute to something greater, to know that what they're doing matters. And I think that's something we didn't anticipate at Fudini, and I maybe I should have, but but when you think about it, like you're creating this new community where people can come together from all different walks of life and help build something, work towards something that is greater than themselves, but then also is be able to impact everybody, you know, in the kitchen working together. Because if one person is successful, that means that everybody becomes more successful. So the more that we all work together and do our, do our jobs better, the better we're going to be going forward. And so that sense of contribution, that sense of community is something that is something we've really seen, you know, that we didn't realize how important that was. Um, so that's been pretty cool to see. And then thirdly is just what is next, right? And I think that's the key thing is everybody needs a job, but then people, 
people want to be able to grow. People want to be able to look to their futures and not, not just be stuck in the same thing. And I think that's kind of a, a, a look at like, when I look at my parents' generation as, as refugees, like many of them had to put their dreams on hold, right? Put their aspirations on hold because they got to take care of their family, their kids, so that they can flourish, right? But I think what we set out to do is that this is not the end point for our people. This is the starting point. And you can take it as far as you want to go. Maybe someday you want to start your own restaurant. Maybe someday you want to be training new chefs at, at Fudini, right? You're training the, the new chefs that are coming into Fudini or new team members. Or maybe you want to take on a leadership role. I think that's the key thing is it's not a start. It's not an end point. It is the starting point. I think the other beautiful thing, and, and thanks for sharing that, it, that has struck me is seeing that people are being asked not simply, they're, they're not being just like given a job, right? They're being asked to share part of their home, right? Because it's not just cook American food or, you know, come come make pizzas. There'd be nothing wrong if someone started a restaurant that was making, you know, pizzas, but they're not being asked to do that. They're being asked to share a very personal recipe, a part of their life with people. And there's just been, there's something really beautiful and honoring about that. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's sometimes a little bit funny because I'll, I'll be working with a chef or something and we're talking through like, Oh, well, you know, looking at a menu for the future and thinking about, Oh, what do you think? You know, how, what kind of dishes do you think you want to look at or maybe work through or maybe, you know, create, in a lot of instances, it's the first time they're being asked that question because, you know, it's the first time in a long time where I want to know what you think. I want to know what your input is. I want to know what you think should be should be created and, and, and built, right? And I think that just goes back to the, the, the value of this is not a starting, this is just the starting point. You know, we want to make sure that you're able to really explore who you are and what you want to do what you think is something you want to grow in and at the end of the day that helps foodie continue our mission to grow but then also it allows them to grow so it's kind of a win-win and and i think in a lot of ways propels us you know much much further into the future and i think it creates a, a level of retention too like people want to stay because they feel welcome they feel like they have a voice here and Sometimes we forget that's that's one of maybe that's just sometimes just the most important thing, right? Is just being heard, you know. Right now, with the way things are with COVID, a lot, including myself, like you're just trying to survive, and sometimes you don't make time to to hear hear everybody, and you know you gotta you gotta understand if you can give people a chance to to speak and share their thoughts that only makes everybody stronger. So how has the public received it? Because this, there's a lot of new cuisines. I mean, just clicking through and like, I can't wait to order some of this when I'm in the area, but like, I've never had ivory cuisine or Afghan. Like there's, this is an expanding of the palate, right? So how have people responded to it? It's been pretty cool. Um, yeah. And that, you know, that's what we were hoping for is people feeling like they, they can actually be exposed to new things, try new things, but also experience something familiar, you know, and I think that's the beauty of, of how we approach the the design of the menus and how we approach, 
you know, bringing such diverse chefs to the, to the team is, you know, sometimes as a customer, you, you're not quite sure. Like you said, you never had Ivorian food before, so maybe you won't order it the first time. Right. But if you see one of our dishes is like a chicken curry, right. If you see a chicken curry, you're like, Oh, well I've heard, you know, I've had that before. Let me, let me try that first. You'll be able to try something a little bit more familiar. And then once you taste it, you're like, dang, that was really good. Right. And then you're going to be like, let me try that new thing that, that I wouldn't order the first time, but let me try it now because right. Like this is something like I is really good. Um, and so it's a nice way to be able to bring people into different, you know, tastes and flavors and cultures. And it's also a great way to be an icebreaker too. I don't think we've done enough around this, but I remember, 2017 i think it was we were doing a pop-up um little like pop-up at a apartment building in arlington and it was you know it was like a fairly affluent building so there's a lot of you know intelligent people there probably highly educated and so we were selling our food there and i remember sitting in the corner was a woman with a uh, you know make america great t-shirt on (laughs) i remember her kind of just hanging back you know and just standing in the corner and then she came over and just quietly tried some food tried some of the samples and then she bought like four or five things um all from refugees which is very interesting and and i don't know i should have talked to her a little bit but i don't know if she knew that she was purchasing food from uh from uh, made from refugees and and uh you think about the power in that where it's a conversation starter. It's a way to create um, human connection that maybe wouldn't be possible um, in other circumstances. And so that I think is, is one of the powerful things that we're, that we think could be something greater down the road. And I know I didn't spend much time on it early on, but I think it's, it's even more important now than ever. And so, there's something super unifying about just good food, isn't there? Yeah. Like it really breaks through. Yeah. And you can't really hate, hate somebody that, that makes you a good meal. <laughs> you know, you just can't. I do. I right? do. I know. I do. I know. Um, yeah. That's something I, I was really, I was really taken back by. And, um, and I think that's a big piece of, you know, why I think customers, you know, are, are, are so supportive is that they understand that yes, food's got to taste great, but it's also like this food has integrity and it has, a mission. It means something when you buy something from Foodini, and and we understand the the responsibility of that too, right? For us as a company, we need to make sure that we uphold our mission, that we're we're putting our values first, and we are being true to that because that's that's what it means to be a supporter of Foodini. Can I ask you? And you can punt this away because it's not. It, I'm asking you to share your family story, but I'm curious what brought them to the U.S.? Uh, yeah, no, I'm for totally um, totally cool with that. Yeah, my parents, for people who are, who are not too familiar with um, the Vietnam War, at the time of that, there was also a, a, a proxy war going on in, in neighboring Laos. Um, and so during that time... Was that like the secret? Why did they call it the secret yeah, war? Yeah, it was called the secret war. Basically, oh, yeah. what was happening was the U.S. was sending CIA... Uh, officers to train Hmong, Hmong soldiers in the mountains of Laos 
And so the Hmong soldiers would then be fighting the communist Lao because Laos is a communist country. And so they, Laos was supporting Vietnam, right? And so the Hmong were the ones fighting uh, the Lao, the communist Lao. And the craziest stuff was like, you would send like a hundred Hmong soldiers to rescue like one American pilot. Wow. That is wild. So like you'd hear stories about that all the time and you growing up and just hearing my uncles and, and many of my uncles have passed away who were, who were the soldiers then, who were the ones who were fighting. And they would talk about how, how crazy it was. But at the same time for them, they were just trying to survive as well. Right. So they were, they were for the first time ever being paid, you know, decently to, to, to fight. And for them, it wasn't a matter of right or wrong or who's right or who's wrong, but it was like survival. Right. So um, it was a very tragic time for our people, but you know, it brought, it brought a lot of us here and gave us new opportunities. So I don't know, I probably wouldn't be alive if, if my parents didn't come here, to be honest. Um, so after the war, because the Hmong were associated in fighting with the U.S., after the, the fall of uh, Vietnam, basically, you know, once the U.S. pulled out of Vietnam and Laos, all the Hmong basically had to flee the country or else they'd be persecuted. And so my family fled across the uh, Mekong River and ended up in a refugee camp in Thailand. And yeah, about 12 months later, they ended up in snowy Chicago in the, I think it was like in January or something oh, like that. So, Chicago is especially brutal. Yeah. That is a change on top of change, isn't it? Yeah. And that happened a lot. Like a lot of Hmong, Hmong were basically kind of scattered across the country and they had to reconnect, figure out a way to reconnect. So, you know, now it's pretty interesting. You have a large population in like the Central Valley of California. You have a large population in Minnesota, obviously. Wisconsin, Michigan, and North Carolina is a very fairly large population as well. And then you also Hmong in Australia and um, France as well. Pretty good sized populations there too. So, can you juxtapose your family's life before and then your family's life then in the U.S.? Because I mean, my I'm assuming they came with. I mean, they had a career, and then there was. They were kind of starting from scratch in the U.S. Is that a fair assumption of how, how what it was like for them? Yeah, I mean, my dad was fairly he was he was he was very ambitious in terms of education. So my dad, he was, uh, you know, he was actually working for the government for the U.S. government. You know, at the time he was doing like translation. He was doing work in the refugee camps. Um, he was, you know, one of the most educated people in in his family and. When he came to the U.S., he ended up, you know, just working at a factory. So <clears throat> working multiple jobs at the factory. I, remember, I, I I was not born at the time, but my sisters, I remember my sisters telling me I have uh, five older siblings. So three of my siblings, my older sisters, they, they were born in Laos. And so they, they were, you know, in the refugee camps and then. My other two siblings who were older than me, they were born in the States. But yeah, I remember stories of my sisters telling me that my dad was, I think he was like, he had a mattress in his car because that was the only time he could sleep in between jobs. So I think he had like one of those old station wagons. Like, yeah. And so that's, that's, that's what they told me. And I can't imagine what that's like, but 
but now, right? Like, uh, I have, you know, a master's degree from Georgetown and it's just, you know, it's, it's crazy. Right. And I asked them too. I asked my parents, like, did you ever think like, this is where you would end up? And when you were, you know, growing up in the villages where you're, you have a dirt floor and you're, 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 you're literally, you know, living in a, in like bamboo, you know, houses and stuff. And like, did you, I asked them, like, did you ever think like, could you imagine like, this is where you would end up and this is where your family would end up. And they were like, no, <laughs> I mean, for us, we were just trying to survive. So anything, anything that's better than that is, is good for us. And it's pretty, uh, pretty wild to think about the, the journey that they've taken. So right. just what has been realized in that family in a single generation right from this and even not in that much time right from the what mid 70s to now yeah so about yeah 30 years basically it's crazy how long i've been alive basically yeah. yeah for people that are outside of the dc area and unfortunately i believe that they will be able to at some point but right now can't order uh this amazing food and support the immigrant and refugee communities that are a part of it i'm curious as people listening like who want to be a part of thoughtfully engaging with their neighbors. Do you have any just general guidelines for what people can look for or consider when looking to to engage well in this? Yeah, no, there's there's tons of ways to to give back. I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I know my church does a lot of work in, in refugee services. So there's a lot of organizations, if, it's, if you know, not churches, but also, you know, other nonprofit organizations that are doing a ton of work around refugee resettlement and, you know, helping kids, you know, get in this, you know, get, get situated at schools, um, helping families like take English classes, you know, even just hanging out with them, right? Like I know that my church, they do, even if you're just hanging out, like you just go over there, see how they're doing, talk to them, see if there's anything they need. You know, I think that's the, the biggest thing is, is just letting them know there's a community here for them. I think that's number one. Because I think my parents, they still remember the church and the people who were supporting them um, when they first arrived. Yeah. So Right, just to not feel alone. Yeah. Right. So it means a lot. And uh, to just little things really, really matter. Because I think, you know, families, they're obviously resilient, right? The fact that they've gotten to this point means that they're going to, they're, they're survivors, right? They're going to make it through and they're going to survive because that's what they've been doing this whole entire time. But giving them a chance to know like, Hey, we're here for you too. Um, whether that be bringing a, a old, uh, unused mattress that's just sitting in your house, you know, <laughs> right. Or, uh, you know, taking their kids school shopping or I don't know, you know, whatever, it's it's a very simple thing, but it means a lot. It goes a long way, um, and uh, I'm pretty sure you're gonna get some good food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Way, that's, that's right. how that's how you know that's how you know the families that we've worked with. That's how they show their appreciation is they cook you tons of great food, and you will eat. Yeah, you will eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eat, yeah, <laughs> you're never gonna have to go hungry. Yeah, yeah. At their house, at wherever family's house you're at. So yeah, and then so just take a. Take a chance to be brave. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, people talk about refugees and they talk about, you know, the travel ban and all these different things, but have, but you, you know, ask yourself, like, have you actually talked to a refugee? That's a starting point, <laughs> you know, like, 
if you haven't, then, you know, just start there, you know, because, you know, very much with like, you know, with Black Lives Matter and what happened with, with George Floyd and like some people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was happening. And if you don't know that was happening, then maybe you aren't talking to enough people. <laughs> um, so take a moment to, to, to talk, to, to listen and just see what's going on because not everybody lives in the same world. Everybody lives in, you know, everybody's going through different experiences and uh, yeah, just to be, just to be open. And um, that goes for me too. Like, I'm not saying that I don't got to do that because I definitely got to do that too. But right, we all have our blind spots. It's, we it's, all got to yeah, do it. But yeah. like the first thing is just knowing and being conscious like, oh yeah, I don't know about that. You know, making, making an effort about it. And so, but uh, if you are on the East Coast, we have this new product out kind of like Blue Apron. Uh, like a HelloFresh, basically, where we send you a box of uh, portioned ingredients. And then oh, that's it's cool. one of our chef's recipes. And basically, you can just make it at home and enjoy it at home for your family. Oh, that's right. I did not know that. Is that the taste kit? Yep, it's the taste kit. Oh, nice. And that's a whole East Coast? Yep. So that's, uh, we're, we've been like kind of figuring out how to do shipping to maintain like freshness. But so far, we've seen that like East Coast is definitely doable for, for shipping. So. Oh, yeah. I just, I'm looking at it right now and I'm looking at the, the crispy curry coconut, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm not even paying attention to it anymore. <laughs> well, my deepest thanks to Noopsa Philip Fang and to the work that is being done at Fudini. You can learn more about that. If you're in the DC area, you should order it today. You should order it. You can have it delivered this week. The food's so good. Their website is foodini, F-O-O-D-H-I-N-I.com. And that link is also in the show notes. I would love to hear what you think of today's conversation. And if there are any organizations similar to this, maybe in your area that we could give shout outs to. We are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those have the same handle, New Activist Is. And our website is newactivist.is. A huge thanks, as always, to the great Propaganda who scored today's episode. His music, merch, coffee, everything can be found at prophiphop.com. Today's show was produced by Christina Gore, hosted and directed by me, with additional editing by Chad Michael Snavely. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Noopsa Philip Vang, his team at Fudini, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. 